Hello and welcome to the Double Double. My name is David Dixon and it is Monday, December 21st here in New York City. Hope everyone is doing well to stay and safe as uh, the battle against the coronavirus rages on. Coming up today on the podcast, I'm joined once again by my good friend and head men's basketball coach at the Pratt Institute, Max Sass. We talk all things college football. We break down the conference championship games from this past weekend. We start previewing the college football playoffs semifinal, a couple of the other bowl games as well. We also touch on the whole playoff committee selection, justice for the group of five, and just kind of how how things happened. And, you know, we go off on our usual tangents and really had a, a lot of fun talking about it. And just after the hour or so, Mark, we get into a mini preview of the NBA season with such a short off season. And we've been doing some NBA stuff throughout the off season every week, uh, touching almost every week on the association and uh, the relevant news around the league that uh, didn't do a full, you know, 45 minute hour long preview, but we touch on for about 25 or so minutes. Really enjoyed that uh, because the NBA season, if uh, we're releasing this on, on Tuesday is kicking off uh that night so we'll see how it goes they'll be bubbleless in this covid pandemic world so we'll see how it goes compared to the other sports leagues but uh but there's excitement that the nba is back as uh i like nba basketball uh i know coach Sachs likes nba basketball and when there's nba basketball on it's uh it's always a it's always a good time so while we were doing the podcast we were talking briefly about how the army football team has not had a bowl game to play. Now that I'm recording this introduction afterwards, um, Tennessee has a COVID outbreak on their program, including their head coach, Scott Pruitt. We're wishing all the best to the guys on Tennessee that they get healthy quickly and recover fully. But that means that for the Liberty Bowl against West Virginia, Tennessee will not be playing. Army has jumped in and taken their spot. So it was good to see some justice done for the Army, for the 9-2 and Army uh, football team that uh, that we called for uh, on this podcast. So maybe they heard a early edition or just heard the karma that we put out into the world. So, uh, so just want to hit on that, and then also just want to say, you know, happy holidays to everyone who is celebrating a holiday this week, whether uh, celebrate Hanukkah last week or you're celebrating Christmas upcoming this week or whatever holiday you celebrate, whether you're a festivist family. Uh, it's always a, a great time to be around loved ones. And uh, just want to wish everyone out there a happy holiday season. So without further ado, I'm hit the music. And when we come back is my conversation from, from earlier today with Max Sass. Joining me now on the line once again for his weekly appearance is my good friend Max Sass. Coach, what's going on? Not much. Happy to be here. Excited to be here, talk some hoops, talk some pigskin. Uh, yeah, running out of cliche names for sports. <laughs> well, I, I highly considered uh, starting off segment one with, you know, something different than college football. But because the NBA season starts tomorrow night, it's going to be a very interesting year, to say the least, as they are now out of the bubble and trying to operate in this pandemic world bubbleless like the rest of us. And, But all of our discussions off air have mainly been about 
college football. So we're going to do college football first, then an NBA preview at the end. So we're recording this on Monday. Just to hop in quickly, David, that's clearly the proper way to rank the importance and interest (laughs) of what's going on. But if Dabo Swinney were to rank it, he'd have um, college football discussion 11th in his ranking this week. Just just to put that in perspective, you have, you know, arena football. I think there was a soccer match in Germany that he had in the top 10. But yeah, Dabo has uh, college football as his 11th most interesting thing this week. So so jumping right into it, as you could tell, Coach Sass is fired up and ready for the college football playoff. Yesterday, we're, we were recording this on Monday afternoon, the, the 21st. Yesterday, in what uh, I thought, I got it completely wrong. I thought they were announcing at 8 o'clock at night. Turns out they did it at like noon. I guess there wasn't a lot to debate after championship conference championship Saturday. We have our top four of the college football playoff. It is Alabama. Clemson, Ohio State, and Notre Dame. Those four teams have been the top four since the first playoff rankings several weeks ago. This is the first time that their order has changed, which was interesting. We'll get into the breakdown of the games and the order, but I honestly think that they should release the coaches coaches poll how they ranked, which is what you were referencing earlier. Each coach who's a part of the board that does the USA Today coaches poll does their top 25, and you know, they're just like the rest of us. They have different opinions for who's better and who's worse. And Dabo Sweeney is pro content. He is consistent to state he is consistent to say the least. He's been uh critical of Ohio State for the number of games that they've played this year. And Clemson was able to play eleven games this season, so he has Ohio State, his playoff matchup ranked eleventh in his coaches bowl. I I think it's kind of funny. It is bulletin board material. It is bulletin board material season. And uh, I just think it's really funny. I just don't understand it. <laughs> I just don't get it. Like, I, I, I just don't know. Like, we talked about this last week, right? And probably many weeks before this about Dabo playing mind games and saying things that the average human being has to kind of like double take on yeah but and and i was actually really i really defended him last week or Mm -hmm. i think it was last week right and i really had his back i said look he just doesn't care what you think it's all about the players and i am admittedly biased you know i'm an ohio (laughs) state and he put them outside of the top 10 which is just frankly disrespectful and don't get me wrong if if last year's semifinal matchup with clemson wasn't enough motivation coming into this game oh yeah or the chance to you know go play in the national championship game and win a, you know, a natty wasn't enough. Like this is just, you know, the cherry on top in in a lot of ways, but I just don't understand this. And I I think I said it off air to you, Dave, what is Dabo just out of his mind or is this a game of 4d chess, you know, that I just don't understand. It's look, I'm not the biggest fan of, of Dabo Sweeney. I think he's a very good football coach. Uh, I have some issues with some of the things that he has said publicly. Uh, I don't think it's four-dimensional chess. I think it's just that he has just been harping on it all year that we we should have been playing games all along. And we talked about last week that it's above, you know, he can't comprehend that two very smart, intelligent people, and in this case the medical field, came to, with the same data, came to a different uh conclusion which happens frequently 
And one, the Big Ten just said, hey, in August, we're going to be risk-averse. We're, we're not as comfortable playing. The ACC and the ICC said, and, and the Big 12 said, hey, we're we're okay with playing football. The, the dollars outweigh the risk. And the Big Ten said at this point, the dollars don't outweigh the risk. Now we saw that the Big Ten came back. Thank you, Nebraska. Um, but I just think that it's just been his consistent rallying cry all along. And... He's just he's just being consistent in that I truly think he believes that Ohio State is the eleventh best team because they've are six and zero and all the teams that, they, that he put ahead of them are quote unquote better because they have played more games, more body of work. Like I'm the biggest Coastal Carolina fan there is this year. I've been calling for him on this podcast to get a shot, right? But I know Ohio State is better than Coastal Carolina, you know. <laughs> Respectfully. Yeah, respectfully. I love everything about Coastal Carolina and, and the Shans and, and the Mullets. So much respect for what they were able to, to, to accomplish this season. And But I know that if Ohio State and Coastal Carolina played, Ohio State would probably be like two touchdown favorites and would probably win that game. Now, the other thing that I want to understand is I think he actually moved them back down Dabo did um I'm trying to find the data from the previous week but I don't think um I don't think Dabo voted um I think I don't think he had them 11th last week I think he moved teams up um over them, and this is, mind you, Ohio State. They did not cover. They didn't play great, um, but they won the Big Ten championship game by double digits yeah. over a, a, a pretty good, I think, Northwestern team. Yeah, and he still had what's now, I believe, three loss Iowa State, uh, three loss Florida, two loss Georgia, and Coastal Carolina, who was idle last week. Um, ahead of Ohio State. So I don't know who jumped Ohio State in his poll, Yeah, but he moved them down. Like, if that's not just him trolling, then I don't know what it is. If he had just left them where he thought they were, if he had lost them, you know, seventh or eighth, mm-hmm. okay, you could make an argument. I'm not saying I would 100% agree with that argument, but you can make an argument that, you know, we're valuing the idea of games played over the idea of games won. Yeah. And... I think there would be a lot of disagreement with that idea, but look like, look like unless he only watched the first half of the game against Northwestern, which, you know, was a bad half of football for Ohio state because he was, you know, he had to go get ready for his own game. That would have been about the time where he would have had to turn the TV off. Sure. Um, that would make sense, but I don't read too much into these, the, the coaches poll, because if, like you can see, like the, the the highest one team ranked Ohio State was one or two, and then the lowest was eleventh. Like some teams had, Ohio had Alabama as low as three. Like how could you watch Alabama football this year and say that they're the third best team in the country? Um, so like it's it's all the coaches. It's who you know. I have no evidence for this, but it feels like it's who they know, who they don't know, rivalries, who they don't like. Like Ed Ogeron had Georgia about fifteen. Georgia was a two-loss team, was was idle for a bunch of weeks because of virus, co, co, because of COVID issues. Like, Ed Ogeron and LSU isn't going to give them 
the benefit of the doubt. It's a big rivalry game. It's a rivalry school. He's going to be like, yeah, Georgia, you know, top 10 team, right? Like, I want to hop in real quick because mm-hmm. I agree with you, and, and I'm down on Georgia because Kirby Smart had uh, Ohio State at number six this week. But Jeff Munkin, the Army coach, and we might mention them later yep. in the bowl game predicament, but Jeff Munkin at Army had Ohio State as number two in the country, and I just think we'd be disrespecting our troops if if, if we didn't all agree with him. So <laughs> I have to say that I'm siding with the U.S. military and the U.S. military academy, and uh, I'm going to disavow anybody who says Ohio State is not the second best team in the country. <laughs> well, I don't have a response to that. So getting to the, I, I, I'm kidding, but yeah. I, I, it's interesting to look at the breakdown, right? Like you see, Pat Fitzgerald said Ohio State second best team in the country. Yeah, the teams that put. Ohio State fifth, Coastal Carolina, Texas A&M, those two make a lot of sense. I don't really understand Alabama, TCU, Florida International, and Texas El Paso. And, but, but, but everyone else had them, you know, in that range. And then Kirby Smart had them six, and Dabo had them at eleven. And the other thing that stinks, and I, I'm not going to turn this into an Ohio State mm-hmm. podcast, um, but Ryan Day didn't have a vote this year. Mm-hmm. In the co- in the Amway coaches poll, so I, I'm I'm very um, curious, and, and, you know, and he made a statement, but I'm very curious to see where he would have put his team, where he would have put Clemson, yeah, uh, a team that does have one more loss but played more games. It, it's just interesting. I, I think it doesn't actually matter, but it's a great talking point. Well, I also think this is a perfect entry or uh, entry point to talking about the playoff and the final ranking system because that's been on my mind for the last two weeks, really. You know, I had a ton of fun last week making a Twitter thread about how the group of five was being disrespected from... Which it is. Which it is. Yeah, I, I... and it no doubt is because it's, you know, it's certain rules applied to other teams and uh, and and other conferences and, and saying that this year that the only chance for a group of five team to make it would have been a situation like BYU where... If the pandemic didn't happen, they had five power five schools on their schedule. If BYU was undefeated after playing all those schools, they likely would have been in the Cotswold playoff. But most group of five schools, because of their conference schedules, can't play five undefeateds. And a lot of the power five schools like Alabama or LSU, because they play such a tough conference schedule, they're not going to add on two really, really tough non-conference schedules on top of their SC schedule. They're going to have their, if they're in a contract, they're going to play like LSU did last year. They're going to play Texas the way Oregon was, Oregon and Ohio State were supposed to play this year. Ohio State didn't sign up, okay, we're going to play Oregon and then we're going to play BYU and then we're going to play, oh, San Jose State looks like they may go, they they may be all right, so we're going to play them and then we're going to take on the gauntlet of our conference schedule. Like, that's just not how it works. So, but I do think it's really interesting that we're all sitting here complaining about the college football selection committee, no matter who it is. We all com- complained about the BCS system. And we're all complaining about the coaches poll, which is that we all have – There's the, 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 the human element of this is what makes it fun. It makes, makes it so much fun talking about. But in every year, no matter how we do it, the, the system is always going to be uh, fraught with controversy. For sure, but isn't there, and I don't have it right in front of me, but I saw an interesting tweet that basically said these would be the BCS computer rankings, and mm-hmm. it was a lot more in line with the things that I know you and I have agreed on yeah. uh, 
off air where where you know teams like Coastal and Cincinnati are at least you know ahead of a three loss Florida team yeah. and a, a two loss Georgia team. So um, I I wonder if there's sort of a middle middle ground, excuse me, where we can go back to the computers but not go back to a two team championship. Yeah. Um, and you know, potentially, I would even suggest going to an eight game, um, an eight game playoff. Uh, yeah. Obviously, no. There's a big contract till what, like 2025. So we're not mm-hmm. going to see that anytime soon. But that, and then you talk about maybe just letting it be the numbers and take out the human bias would be great because, again, like I know I talked about Cincinnati last week, and I'm glad to see they won the American. I was very happy for them. I think Luke Fickle's an unbelievable coach. Yeah. Uh, and I think they're just going to get better. But they had on their schedule this year before COVID at Indiana, mm-hmm. at Notre Dame. Yeah. Okay. Well, why are we blaming Cincinnati for the for the pandemic? Right, exactly. And, and I'm not saying you should credit them as if they had won that game, but it just feels like they're making the effort to do those things. Mm-hmm. And, and something out of their control happened. And on exactly. the and, and Ohio State with the Oregon game to a lesser degree. Yeah. But it's also on the flip side of the exact same argument that the committee used for for Ohio State is it's not their fault the pandemic happened that the Big Ten said no conference no non conference games and we're going to delay the the season and it's not their fault that they had a you know a certain number of games canceled that they've only played six games well if it's not Ohio State's fault that they didn't get to play all the teams on their schedule but it's somehow Coastal's fault or uh, BYU's fault or Cincinnati's fault. That's the part that frustrates me, and I think it frustrates a lot of college football fans. And Stuart Mandel wrote a great article in The Athletic today, which is we're already seeing this shift towards only three bowl games matter. It's the two semifinals and the national championship. But it also is making it so that, like, how do these fan bases stay engaged with the whole playoff selection process if they're never really given – a shot like even though we both know that if Cincinnati played Alabama Alabama would probably win they'd be about 20 to 24 point favorites and they would probably win but at least that fan base would feel like they had a shot and that fan bases of group of five teams or the non-powers right now would feel like they have a legit chance to make the playoff into these biggest best bowl games which as we're seeing are so important for recruiting it's so important for the cyclical nature of who are college football powers because they're on TV the most and they get the biggest marketing, free marketing from that, competing for national championships. And as we see, like that helps with recruiting. Like Clemson, Ohio State, and Alabama have like the best recruiting classes every year the last five years because they've been in the playoff the most, you know? So uh, it's really interesting. Yeah. And, and- you know, Cincinnati, I think now for the second straight year, maybe for the third straight year, has the best five, um, the highest ranked group of five recruiting class in the entire country. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to finish, you know, I think there's, what, 65 power five teams, and Cincinnati's going to finish with a class in either the high 30s or low 40s. And <clears throat> they've obviously done an absolutely tremendous job, but think about where they could possibly jump to if – and there's a number of factors, but if they were playing on national TV on New Year's Day in, yeah. in, in the Sugar Bowl or in the whatever, and instead, you know, they're playing in the Peach Bowl against a Georgia team that is, in a lot of ways, just like 
probably mentally checked out. Yes, just like exactly. Jordan was two years ago when they didn't make the playoffs and Texas declared that they were back because they beat them in a bowl game. You know, yeah. I, I, I said this to you yesterday and I stand by it. Almost, almost without exception, if you're not playing in a New Year's Six Bowl or a playoff bowl, you should just let your kids go home and see their families for the holidays. And and we've seen that. We're going to touch on that a little later because that's a part of a whole opt-out segment. But right Absolutely. now, as of we're recording, I haven't checked since we started, but about 20-ish, maybe a little more uh, teams around the country have said that they will not be playing in bowl games. So while we're all debating who should be in the top four, what to do about the group of five teams, the College Bowl Playoff Committee had a uh, little appetizer announcement to the main entree, which is that uh, in response to the pandemic, they said due to you know pandemic regulations and you know positivity rates, that the Rose Bowl would not be played at the Rose Bowl Stadium in Los Angeles, but that it will be moved this year to the Dallas Cowboys Stadium in Arlington, Texas. And they cited COVID concerns, which is really kind of comical because teams have been flying around from hotspot to hotspot <laughs> during the pandemic and. They really just didn't realize that everyone who really follows this has Google and an internet connection and can Google COVID rates in the county that the Rose Bowl Stadium is in and the county that Arlington is in. And the COVID positivity rates in the Arlington County are 17% higher than in California. So just stop pretending that it's not something other than they're going to let fans in and you can make some money back that you would have lost this year. And you can cover face by saying yes, the the parents will get to will get to go and play because that was a point of emphasis from Brian Kelly and Davos Sweeney last week was that if they got to the Rose Bowl, parents wouldn't be able to go. But okay, you're gonna say, oh yeah, parents will get to go, but also like sixteen thousand other people. Like we understand college football is a business. We talked about this months ago that we all knew how this would end. It's a television product. It's We're going to get the not just the four best teams, but it's the four best, most compelling matchups. Like Notre Dame is a huge draw. Why do you think they're in it? And after getting destroyed by Clemson, right? And so just, just say that, like, yes, we wanted to make some of the money back. We understand the financial toll and the pandemic and everything, but, like, we need to make a little money back. Just, like, just say it, you know? I, I also think that there's – I think that the NCAA is, you know, a, a movie villain in so many ways, yes. right? But I also do think that there is a little bit of common sense, which is saying, hey, look, if we can get the families of these kids there, mm -hmm. there's going to be less gripes and less talk about how the only reason we played these games – was because we needed to fulfill our television contracts and make money. Yeah, I, I do think there was a certain degree of, let's try to do something decent for the kids and the families. Yeah, if we make some money, great. But I, th I think it's more PR move than money move in a lot of ways, even though they're just really intertwined. Yeah, it's it's really interesting, and you know I'm happy that because the the Rose Bowl game, the playoff committee determined that this year. Um, the number of fans that can be in attendance is an advantage. So they had the number one seed Alabama play Notre Dame in the Rose Bowl. In Dallas, it's unclear if it'll still be called the Rose Bowl. I think it will be, even though it's not there. And so it's awesome that Mac Jones's mom and dad get to come watch him play 
in the college playoff semifinals and this time play because the last three or four years he's been the backup when they have made it. He was one. Of, he was you know the third string behind Jalen Hurts and Tua. Then he was the backup to Tua and Jalen Hurts when they reversed positions when they lost to <laughs> to Clemson. And then and then last year they didn't make it because they were a two loss team. Like it's awesome that Mac Jones's mom and dad get to come and watch him play, and Ian Book's mom and dad get to watch him in the casual playoff for for the second time. But also like just you know we we all know also why they're doing it. The the parents are coming, but also thousands of of other people. So 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 just don't say for pandemic related reasons when you're going to a place with a higher positivity rate and you're going to let more people in. Just like just just say like for the families just like just make that the statement you know so college football just needs better media pr that's like been like the theme of this whole season you're 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 correct yeah so 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 let's talk about the the teams on the field for a second like what actually matters is that you know the parents will be there espn will will be there we're gonna be tuning in but two football teams will actually be playing a game uh, with a lot on the line, it's Alabama, number one, the Crimson Tide, facing off against the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Alabama won the SEC championship on Saturday. They beat Florida 52-46. to Notre Dame lost the ACC championship against Clemson 34-10. to What are just your initial thoughts about this matchup before we get into recapping the SEC and the ACC championship? Actually, let's do that first before we talk about this matchup. What did you think of the SEC championship between them and Florida? Um, I think that this is not the Alabama team that I remember from a, a, a couple of years ago that, you know, lost to Manziel because they couldn't play in shootout games. Yeah. I think that this is not, you know, Nick Saban's three yard. Well, I don't want to tread on the Big Ten's three yard in the cloud dust, but <laughs> this is not Nick Saban's, you know, w- w- win with defense and, you know, have a game manager no. under center. I, I mean, this was a game that they won in a shootout. Yeah. I mean, they won a game and they gave up 46 points. Mm-hmm. And it felt to me like the score was closer than the actual game. Um, yes. Personally. personally mm-hmm. um, I, I, it confirmed to me, not necessarily with the numbers, but the eye test that they are the best team in college football this year. Yep. Bar, bar none. I think quite comfortably, actually. That doesn't mean they're going to win the playoffs. No. It just means that as of today, I think they are the best team, though they would be my pick. Um, I, I, I think that – I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about matchups and stuff, but I think that this Alabama team is just so much more versatile than they used to be, even yes. when they were winning national championships at the beginning and middle of Nick Saban's tenure. I think that um, – Florida's a good team. I know they have three losses, but they are a very good team. Mm-hmm. And Kyle Trask is a he played great quarterback. Um, and and Florida has some really impressive weapons, including Pitts, who who I know we're going to talk about in the opt out section. But it just feels like watching Alabama that even when they're getting scored on, even when the game is close or tied, it just feels inevitable that they're going to pull away and they didn't fully pull away in this game but um it it just feels like there's very few teams if anybody who can hang with this bama team they when i was watching there was not one moment where i thought that florida was going to win the game exactly 
So and, very well. And the other thing that I really noticed was, and it really jumped out to me, was in the first half, there was basically three plays that really ended the game for me. There was two third down penalties that, that Florida committed that are just back-breaking penalties that fit into what I was talking last week and just my general thoughts about Florida and Dan Mullen, which is you can't be complaining about anything when you do things that get in your own way. You know, like you can't be howling at the moon that you deserve to, you're one of the four best teams when you don't control what you can control and, you know, don't do stupid things on third down or in big moments. <laughs> and the other play was when Mac Jones threw, threw a ball over the middle, the Florida defender ripped the ball away, got an interception. It was a great play. But the one of the Alabama receivers hits some kind of blindside, uh, but knocks the ball out, and Alabama recovers the fumble. And the next play, they score a touchdown, which is you literally cannot make any mistakes against this Alabama team if you want to win. And I don't know if that will apply against Clemson, Ohio State, or Notre Dame, but you almost have to play a perfect game because it felt like even though Alabama scored 52 points, they could have scored 70 or 75 points in this. And, it, like, the combo of Najee Harris, Mac Jones, Devonta Smith is ridiculous. It is ridiculous. And and, and th- that's what I wanted to talk about because, yeah. my goodness, I think Najee Harris became Alabama's all-time leading rusher on Saturday. Devonta Smith passed Amari Cooper to become Alabama's all-time leading receiver yesterday. Yep. Um, and Najee Harris also, I believe, set the school record record for uh, career rushing TDs and 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 career total touchdowns. And by the way, just snarky Ohio State fan comment: it wasn't the best performance by a running back on Championship Saturday. No, it wasn't. For the record. And I, I think the two biggest problems Alabama has right now. And, and when I say problems, take that very loosely, are, one, which of their three offensive weapons do you push hardest for the Heisman? Yeah. And two, is Steve Sarkeesian about to leave for Auburn? And when I say those are your biggest problems, that's pretty gosh darn good. Yeah. <laughs> you know? uh, yeah I mean, look, they lost their starting center, who's a Florida State transfer, he hurt his knee. He he's out for the game against Notre Dame, which is a which is a bummer. But uh, what what you mentioned f- first about when you talk about Alabama is this is not the Alabama team of old, and it feels like they've gone through this revolution from archaic 1960s 70s football of we're gonna dominate the 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 line of scrimmage and just just dominate you with physicality and running the ball to the point where like you don't want to play anymore. That was how they won their first few national championships under Nick Saban and all those SEC games. And as you said, they really struggled against modern spread offenses, Johnny Manziel, Chad Kelly, uh, you know, those types of guys. They've gone through this revolution to now they're playing as modern football as you could possibly play except, like, not punting ever, which they rarely do because they're just that good. But, like, they are doing – they are the epitome of modern football. And yeah, Jim Pressel is absolutely devastated watching this team. Yeah. Play. Not enough punts. Not enough punts. And, and, like, he just completely – you know, we I gave a lot of credit to Coach O last year 
on this podcast by saying he recognized that he couldn't win the same way in the SEC by playing that, you know, the old school LSU style play, which is very similar to how, how Alabama played, which is just destroying your will almost through physicality. <laughs> and, and he changed. He hired Joe Brady, gave him the keys, and LSU won a national championship and had basically everyone on that offense become a first round NFL draft pick. Uh, Alabama has done a very, very similar thing where now you're having these Mac Jones loves to throw the deep ball. They're, they're like connecting on these huge plays. Yes. Najee Harris can still run the ball up the middle and dominate a game, which they can still do, but they have these weapons on the outside, like Jalen Waddle, who was probably their best receiver coming into the season. He got injured and Devonta Smith was just like, all right, I'll take over and go win the Heisman. Like the skill position players that they have now is insane. And, it's only going to keep getting better and better as top high school recruits in the country. Now see how yeah, wide receivers. The top 100 receiver from LSU on signing day. Just yeah. To add uh, uh, insult to injury. Because they're because they see like wow like I if I work really hard I can become Devonta Smith, Henry Ruggs, whoever, Calvin Ridley, and. I can become a okay, first round draft pick. Amari Cooper. Look, yeah. We could we could have a whole hour long podcast just naming Alabama receivers yeah. and skill position players. <laughs> it's it's just it's purely ab- absurd and Mac Jones is is a star. I think he's played his way just like Joe Burrow has from probably undrafted to I don't know if Mac Jones will be a first round pick this year, but he will be drafted and people will talk about him. I like him. And you know, coming in next year is their five-star backup Bryce Young, who was a who was the top quarterback prospect last year, right? Like, probably another stud, awesome quarterback to throw these awesome receivers. Like Alabama is just getting better and better, which is crazy to think because now they're keeping up with modern with the modern game. It's it's just I, I remember reading season previews because. Alabama was not expected to be the best team in the country this year. No, uh, Clemson and Ohio State were overwhelmingly yeah. the favorites to in in the betting markets mm-hmm. to win the national championship. And so much of that was why David, because they had established quarterbacks. Yeah, Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence, in whatever order, were supposed to be the two best quarterbacks in the country. Obviously, it's Lawrence um, and Fields. Yes, I, I, obviously the way Fields has played the second half of the season, it's not even a discussion anymore like it was early in the year. But there was legitimate talk about, oh my God, would Nick Saban start Bryce Young, a true freshman quarterback? Yeah, and and people and part of it was just a little disrespectful to Mac Jones, but part mm-hmm. of it was, you know, this kid is really good, and and Alabama needs to sort of put their best guys in the field, and and Mac Jones responded better than anybody, and and I just think it's very interesting. Um, if anybody has time to go back and read some of those season previews, because there was a legitimate discussion, maybe not in Nick Saban's head or or Steve Sarkeesian's office, but there was a little bit legitimate discussion amongst college football media and fans of who Alabama was going to start at quarterback this year. And that was going to be ultimately what determined their season. And guess what? In a long, in a lot of ways, they were right. (laughs) Yes. And we know Alabama is going to score and, they are probably going to score a lot on New Year's Day in the Dallas version of this Rose Bowl. I don't know if Notre Dame can stop them. 
They Notre Dame is not going to get dominated at the line of scrimmage on defense. Um, they they had a lot of problems in the AC championship. They they didn't play well. Let's just start that off right. They didn't play well, um, but they also uh, part of that was that the Clemson defensive line dominated their offensive line. So I don't know. This is kind of like the the twofold question, right? Of you have an awesome offense coming in, you basically have two strategies. One, can we stop them, or can we outscore them? And I don't know if Notre Dame can do either. Well, I, I, I mean, you could just do my part for me now. Yeah. I'm not going to change my opinion on Notre Dame in big games. You were I right. Was, I was wrong this I was, week. I, I was very wrong in the regular yep. season matchup. I was very, very right this weekend. Mm-hmm. And guess what? I'm sticking with the baby. <laughs> Notre Dame, big game, big game Notre Dame doesn't exist. And no shows. Yeah. I mean, like, as as much as I would love to see Ian Book play the game of his life and battle and keep this Notre Dame team in it against Alabama the way he did the first matchup against Clemson this year, but watching him this past week, Clemson's defensive line is talented, but they're young. They have a lot of, they start two freshmen who are really good, but young, you know? This is not the Clemson defensive line of a couple of years ago where they had four first-round first. round first four first round draft picks on it, right? Still really talented, but not as uh mature, let's just say, in their uh playing of uh, their playing ability. And how many times do we see Ian Book get flushed out of the pocket, get hit, get sacked, run from one side of the field to the other to try to gain four yards and then he turns out he loses one. It's I don't know. I it's it's concerning. Yeah, as is, frankly, Brian Kelly's postseason big game history Yes, uh, at, at Notre Dame. And I, I get it. Like, we're playing the game in the present. We're not playing the game in the past. But I think history holds here. Yeah. I, we, and that's not to say Notre Dame's not good. They are good. They mm-hmm. earned that first win over Clemson. They, you know, they've had a very, very good season. Ian Book has proven to be a terrific, terrific quarterback, even better than we might have thought coming into the season. But Alabama wins and wins comfortably. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll break this down more next week to to get ready for these matchups. But I I I agree with with a lot of what of what you just said. But on the on the other side of the, of that AC championship game was was Clemson and. Trevor Lawrence started the game with an interception, and I said, okay, this could be interesting, right? Like, okay, Notre Dame came out on, you know, big play early. The dude is has such a short-term memory. He just was like, all right, well, I'm just going to throw two or three more touchdowns, and, like, it's not going to matter. And look, the, how much is there to say about how good Trevor Lawrence is? Like, he's just the best. Like, can we just say that he's just the best? <laughs> In college football, yeah, and, and as a Jets fan, brutal. It, it, hurt, it hurts even more. Brutal. About to be a Jacksonville <laughs> He's re- he's unbelievable. He's exactly what we expected him to be three years ago. You, you you know what I mean? And that's Dabo's whole Heisman pitch for him, which is he came in as the number one prospect in the country, and you know not just number one prospect in quarterback prospect in the country, but like the number one prospect in the country with a higher rating than like 
any quarterback in years. He was thought to be a future number one draft pick when he came into college, when he was a junior in high school, came into college, dominated from the beginning, national championship, lost in the national championship, likely, a, you know, he's made the third playoff and first overall pick. Like, Dabo's like, this dude is like, it's like not giving LeBron James the an MVP award his last year if if he went to college, like the high school, you know, like he's been... He was a phenom when he came in, and he hasn't disappointed at all. He's probably even exceeded some expectations because I don't think people thought that he could run the way that he's proven that he, that he can run. I just this is not even you know a top ten craziest thing Dabo Swinney said in the past. You know, <laughs> doesn't even week. doesn't even crack the mentioning of the top ten. But um, I, I don't know. I just the way I look at the Heisman is who had the best season. This mm-hmm. year, like, are we going to go back last year and be like, well, Joe Burrow had probably the best quarterback season in college football play in college football history. But yeah. you do have to take into account that he, you know, only threw 10 touchdowns the year before at LSU. And yeah. he couldn't beat out Dwayne Haskins for the starting job at Ohio State. Like, yeah. that's not how it works. No, no, it's not. And 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 I think it's going to go to one of the Alabama guys. Don't don't know who, but. That doesn't mean that Trevor Lawrence isn't the best quarterback in college football. It just means that he hasn't he just didn't put up the ungodly stats that some of these other guys have, which is, you know, totally fine. Like it's he, you're still going to be the uh, winning the Heisman Trophy doesn't mean that, that that you're the number 1 draft pick. Travis Etienne is a problem. That dude just like I don't understand how he comes up with like new celebrations to do after all these touchdowns he scored in his career because he has scored so many like I feel like he would just run out of run out of ideas he I don't think he maybe he hasn't had the season everyone expected him to have he's had a very very good year um I don't think he gets the recognition he deserves frankly I think he's the best running back in the country um and that includes Najee Harris who I think is absolutely tremendous um you know, and some other guys who are also really, really good. We don't have to get into necessarily Brees Hall, you know, naming guys. Yeah. But um, I, I think that part of the reason that uh, Trevor Lawrence can afford to occasionally have a bad game, you know, even looking back at the Ohio State game last year in the semifinal, like mm-hmm. Trevor Lawrence can throw the ball great, especially early. And Travis Etienne kept them in that game. Yes. Um, I'm petrified as an Ohio State fan, and I'm sure we'll talk about it more next week. But Justin Fields is coming off what what they say is likely a sprained throwing wrist. Um, Mm. Their secondary was absolutely depleted uh, due to COVID, though now it looks like the Big Ten is going to be changing their rules. I I think in in a lot of ways Ohio State has to be ready um, for – I don't even know the best way to phrase it. I just think the weapons and the big play potential of this Clemson team are scarier than it was last year. Um, and part of that's because of Ohio State personnel. Um, and part of that's just, I think that Clemson is always ready and waiting with something different. Yes. If you take away the first 17 options. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, Clemson, we'll, we'll dive more into it next week, but, uh, in case anyone missed it, they're really good. Um, Ohio State, 
had problems. I'm 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 interested that they said it was a sprained wrist for Justin Fields because they were taping up his thumb and during the broadcast on Fox yesterday when they were playing Northwestern, it was talking about his thumb. He looked abjectly. I know you're a fan, so don't take. No, he looked. He looked he, bad. He, he looked bad. He did. He did, and it's funny because well, not funny, but <laughs> I remember. I remember talking to um, you know, our, our mutual friend Jordan Sears, who's also an Ohio State fan, earlier this season when Fields was playing terribly, and I believe it was the Indiana game. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, no worries. Everyone's allowed to have the worst game of their career once, and then he kind of won up that. So yeah. I, I still think Justin Fields is unbelievable. He might come out against Clemson and throw for, you know, 450 yards, five touchdowns. He might, but he, he might. also might go 12 for 25, which I frankly didn't think was a possibility before this past weekend. His first interception, or I, I can't remember if it was his first interception, but one of his interceptions when he rolled right was not his fault. The wide receiver clearly ran the wrong route or called, you know, did an audible on and, his own. And that's part of what happens when your number one wide receiver is out with COVID, right? Yeah. Chris Blave was out. Now he's mm-hmm. expected to be back for the Clemson game, but those things really matter. I mean, they do. Two weeks, two games ago, Justin Fields played without three fifths of his starting offensive line. Then he played without his number one wide receiver. It it just changes what you can do. And um, and and they started hyper talented. Uh, I think it was a five star recruit, Julian Fleming. Yeah. At yep, wide receiver, ESPN, and ESPN had him as the number one player in the country last year. Twenty four seven composite, I believe, had him number three overall. Point and, being, yeah, he, he's a stud. <laughs> and, but but they said you know he clearly hasn't played a lot this year where he is the primary target and really being relied upon because Ohio State has a bunch of awesome receivers, right? Justin Fields made a big effort to get him involved very early in the game. Him, Ryan Day, the whole offensive staff. The whole first drive, it was like Fleming, 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 right? But and and just to build on your point, mm. Brian Hartline, the wide receivers coach, wasn't there. He no. was out with with COVID as well. So yeah, so it, it's it's a little bit of an interesting dynamic there because Julian Fleming doesn't necessarily have his position coach with him, mm-hmm. but but they still made that effort to see if they could get him involved early. So I was impressed by Fields when something would happen, and clearly, like. You know, we're not there, right? But but we can tell when a miscommunication happens because we mm-hmm. both have been around sports enough where two people look at each other and pointing fingers <laughs> like, was that you or was that me? Like, I thought I was supposed to go here, but the ball is over there. Uh, I was impressed that Justin Fields, even having a really bad game, was talking to his guys in the huddle, in the line of scrimmage. You could see the, the, the vocal leadership aspect that people – love from from quarterbacks of hey you got to do this or don't worry about that next play keep your head up I was impressed by that but and I was also impressed by how Ohio State look every team has had to deal with the pandemic the way that every person has had to deal with the the pandemic and yes they were down a lot of players but they still found a way to win so I was impressed by that but that does not mean that (laughs) they are totally out of the woods yet or Clemson is going to be out of the woods next week. Like with the pandemic, I mean, as as we we talked, we don't know, as we talked about last week, like we, we we both thought Ohio state was going to be fine. But what if one of the 22 players who was down, who couldn't play because they tested positive was Justin Fields. Northwestern maybe wins that game. And we're not even talking about the, your Buckeyes as, as a playoff team. Like even though they reduced the number of days, needing to be out from 21 days to 17 days, that 
seems like it, it would help get some players cleared on Ohio State before the national championship game. Or sorry, not the national championship, the the, the, the semifinal game. We don't know what's going to happen this week, and we don't know what's going to happen this week or next week in the other conferences as well. It's It's, you know... It's 2020. It's a pandemic. Nothing has been easy, and nothing will be easy, even as we're wrapping up this. This the teams with the, the best, the teams with the best depth, yep, and the best, most creative, adaptable coaches, yeah. are the ones who are thriving. And the one thing I will take from that Ohio State game is they came out of halftime. I believe they were down ten to six going into halftime, and. I just felt really good about where they were at with Ryan Day and and, yeah. and his group of coaches. They have I know they've been fast starters all year, but they I just feel very confident with them coming out of halftime and making adjustments. And mm-hmm. it showed the defense didn't give up a single point in the second half. And then they went to Trey Sermon, who and I understand, look, you don't wanna have to rely on, you know, your your backup running back having a better day than Eddie George ever had and breaking Eddie George's record in order to beat yeah. Northwestern. You don't want to but, go to plan C before you have to. Right, exactly. But And it looked like they kept trying to you know, do everything they could to get Fields, you know, the ball in rhythm, even on the two-point conversion. Yeah. They're like, oh, we got to get him to throw the ball into the end zone. Like, he just needs this mentally. Ultimately, Trey Sermon put the team on his back. And Justin Hilliard was the defensive MVP of that game. He had an unbelievable interception in the end zone. He's a yes. really interesting story. Um, he was a five-star guy, five-star, really highly touted recruit for Ohio State. He's now a fifth-year senior, and this is the first year he's ever been healthy. He's had some really tough injuries, mm-hmm. um, and, and he's never been a starter in his five years at Ohio State. So it was so good to see him come up with a couple big tackles, that interception, a fumble recovery. I mean, just a great story, great yeah. leader. Um, if anyone's interested, it's worth worth checking out on on your own. I was concerned, though. Yes, he made a great interception, but Northwestern left ten points on on the field. They they missed a field goal and they threw an interception at the goal line. And you could we could talk all you want about Trey Sermon of how literally once they just said, "Hey, they can't stop him," and it's not worth trying to get Fields going because they cannot stop him. And once they went that with that strategy, the game was over, but this game was closer than the scoreline. It was kind of the opposite of the Clemson Notre Dame game and the Alabama Florida game, which was that this game felt within reach the entire time until Ryan day and the Buckeyes just said, all right, Trey sermon, take us home. <laughs> it, it, in a lot of ways. Yes. But it also felt inevitable. Yes. Me. A little I mean, bit just texting with my brother, texting with friends, other fans. It, it felt like, we were just sitting there going, okay, like they're gonna just eventually let Trey Sermon keep running for touchdowns, right? Like yeah. that's the thing that makes sense. Like once they do that, the game's over. Why are they not doing that? Yeah. And I certainly am not gonna question Ryan Day, who has proven to be one of the best coaches in the country. But it did for me at least. I was really nervous. I'm not gonna pretend I was mm-hmm. cool as a cucumber, but it did feel inevitable in a lot of ways. But not dominant the way the other teams did, like yeah. you said. To agree so that's the top four Clemson Ohio State will be playing in the Sugar Bowl which is New Orleans I always have to remind myself where these different bowl games are actually being played so that game is in New Orleans that will be on New Year's Day uh did have they announced which game is first and which game is second I would bet Clemson Ohio State is second right uh 
typically that's how it works yeah. but I, I i'm not sure to be honest i i, I have not seen um an announcement so the other major bowl games if you're like the rest of us just at home a lot because of the pandemic there are the new year's six bowl games so those are the two of them we got the peach bowl which will be cincinnati versus georgia the citrus bowl auburn versus northwestern the fiesta bowl oregon versus iowa state the orange bowl is texas a&m versus north carolina the Cotton Bowl is Florida versus Oklahoma. And the Cure Bowl, which only bars mentioning because it's Liberty versus Coastal Carolina, which is a rematch of a previously scheduled game that got canceled because of COVID issues in the Liberty program, which is why Coastal Carolina played BYU and beat them in the first place, which I just think it's it's pretty cool that they're going to be able to, to get a chance to play this year. But are there any of those matchups that stick out to you or, or are interesting in in any way? Yes. A couple games stick out to me. The Citrus Bowl sticks out as the game I'm least interested in. Totally agree. Um, and no disrespect to Northwestern. They had a very good year, but it's more so I just have no interest in watching Auburn again. <laughs> the, the, the Fiesta Bowl is the one that really interests me personally because okay. I think um, and I've said it time and again, I think Mario Cristobal at Oregon and Matt Campbell at Iowa State are two of the best coaches in the entire country. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think those teams have good, strong cultures and are both um, not happy to be there in the sense of like, oh, we're just happy to be here. Who cares what happens? But I think they're both appreciative of this opportunity um, and will play really hard. And I think that's going to end up being a really good game. Um, and I keep going back to Brees Hall after beating Texas saying, you know, five-star culture over five-star talent. Yeah. Um, and I, I just think Iowa State played a tough uh, game against Oklahoma, mm-hmm. obviously lost, um, but it's still a very good team. And Oregon, uh, you know, won the Pac-12, even though they didn't win either of the Pac-12 divisions. Pac-12 is uh, crazy. And, and you know, they're super talented, Kayvon Thibodeau, guys like that. So I'm excited to see who has something um, interesting coming out of that. Yeah, so that's that's an interesting game. Cincinnati, Georgia is just on my list because I want to see Cincinnati win for the group of five and, and to prove the way that you the way that UCF did when they beat Auburn that like we belong at this level of football when we have a team as good as this. But what's really interesting about this is that these are obviously the major bowl games, but due to the pandemic, there are way, way fewer bowl games this year than in previous years. We, we are, if this was a normal year, we would be in bowl season on ESPN where it felt like every day was a different bowl game sponsored by some company we've never heard of playing in some part of the country that would have like 300 actually, people there. I actually think by the time we're, we're, done recording this i think north texas is actually playing in a bowl game today if i'm not totally oh my god so but i'm I'm gonna double check that yeah (laughs) but so we would be full on into that season right we're seeing a lot of teams opting out of playing a bowl game 20 ish teams as of we're recording this now it's just past two o'clock east coast time have said they're they're not going to play a bowl game and i can run through all the teams, but I'd rather not do that. But it's a lot of ACC teams, a bunch of Pac-12 teams, uh, yeah, Dave, a couple of Big Ten, yeah. Two uh, thirty today. Obviously, we're we're you know time traveling when people listen to this. Yeah. But the Myrtle Beach Bowl mm-hmm. is App State versus North Texas, um, which 
you know, is is a bowl game. It's great for those kids to to get a chance to to play, but that's going to be one of the few bowl games this year that isn't one of the marquee games because a lot of locations haven't been able to have a bowl game because of the pandemic. And a lot of teams are saying, you know, we're out. We're we have been following these protocols since June or July when they came out for for summer workouts. The players haven't been able to go home. They've been haven't really been able to socialize outside of the team. They have been doing like nothing but football and classes or Zoom classes and just the mental toll that they've taken. And really for all of us, like like if you've been, you know, just a normal person living through this pandemic, it's taken a toll on, on all of us that they're like, look, we're going to give them a winter break. We're going to give them a break. This bowl game where a lot of our best players would opt out anyway um, that doesn't really have a, a say for national championships or, or, or anything like that. A lot of teams are saying, you know, we're out. We're, we're not going to okay. play. And what's the point? So on Saturday yeah. after Christmas, South Carolina is playing UAB. Mm-hmm. South Carolina is two and eight. Right. Like I get it. We have to change the rules, but what's the cutoff here, folks? Like two and eight South Carolina. And also it's, was reported today or late last night. I can't remember. Is that Army, who is nine and two? I want to say. Yes, uh, yes. It's Coach Munkin wants them to have the chance to play for a tenth win, which absolutely I respect that. Which is, I think that the the two military themed bowls have been canceled or postponed, or they have or they weren't eligible to play in it for whatever reason. Army can't get a bowl game. They're nine and two, but two and eight South Carolina can. And yes, I know that the South Carolina fan base will watch them play no matter how bad they are. 2-8, and 0-8, oh 10-0. Oh. So they'll probably get a good TV draw for that game, and you know it is a television business. But it just feels like the way that we do these bowl games is, even with all these teams opting out, that we can't get a nine-win team a bowl game. I don't know. I it's it's we weird. Just, I think we should just sub out South Carolina and put in... Army. I, Army I UAB agree. would actually be a really interesting matchup. Like UAB is only in their fourth year back. Yeah. They won Conference USA. Bill Clark is is great story. An unbelievable coach. They've had, you know, so many games canceled. I would love to see I would love to see that game, you know, two essentially mid majors who, who have proven to be very, very good within um you know, their, their limitations. What? I'd rather much rather see that than, you know, South Carolina, you know, just biding their time before Shane Beamer takes over. That, yeah. But that's just me. And I don't mean it disrespectfully mm. to South Carolina fans. It, it, I don't know. It's, it's, it's also the, the most interesting opt out to me so far is uh, Nebraska opted out. Cause you, you remember back in August, you know, 10 years ago, back in August where when the big 10 initially canceled, they were like, we will, we want to do nothing more this year than prove that we can play as many football games safely during this pandemic as possible this year. That was Nebraska. We're like, we'll go to the big 12. We don't care We'll we'll leave. We'll threaten to leave. We want nothing more to do than to play football. They said, you know what? <laughs> we don't want to play any more football. We're out. <laughs> <laughs> And so thanks for being thanks for bringing back the Big Ten, Nebraska. You did great. You you were on it, you know. But uh, they're happy. They beat Rutgers. They came yeah. back to Rutgers. They're feeling good. 
you know, end but, on a high note. Uh, but yeah, it, it is definitely ironic, but at the same time, um, even if Scott Frost is not going to look good because that's sort of double standard, mm-hmm. I do have a lot of respect for these coaches that are sort of saying, I don't need another win, yeah. you know, or a bowl bonus on my paycheck. Like, let's take care of these kids and their mental health. So 100%. I, do that. I do respect that. A and, lot, but yes, the irony of the Nebraska thing is hard not to notice. And now this is the the favorite part for the Twitter <laughs> aggregators. This is the favorite season. It's called player opt-outs, which is future or projected first or second round picks uh, in the NFL draft on many of these teams will say will choose to opt out of the season and they'll uh, not play in the bowl game. And they'll start preparations and training for the NFL draft. They'll start preparing for their for their next job, where millions of dollars are on the line uh, in signing bonuses and contracts. Where if you get hurt in a bowl game in January, if you tear your ACL, that costs you millions of dollars in the draft. Rather than if you you know theoretically tear your ACL in September, guys come back from that. This aggravates the Twitter people the most and the fan bases because it's, oh, it's so unloyal to for have Kyle Pitts, the stud Florida tight end, to say, I'm not playing in the whatever bowl is, the, the, the Cotton Bowl because there's nothing on the line that, oh, he, 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 he you know, this, you know, he needs to give it to the school that the school gave it, you know, gave so much to him. Like, like he has to pay back the school. He has to stick with it. He's bailing on his teammates. He's a bad teammate. No, this is, you know, people talk about the player empowerment era in the NBA. This is the player empowerment era of college football. Players are saying enough of me being this unpaid labor. I'm not going to cost and risk my body and potentially millions of dollars to play in a meaningless game for, you know, trophies for a for a true shot at a championship and kyle pitts is this one star who's opted out many many more are going to come but i'm interested in in your perspective as you're a diehard fan of ohio state football but you're also a coach what what do you make of the whole players choosing to opt out even though they have a bowl game but it's not the biggest bowl game i get it i understand it i'm all for these unpaid players to take care of their futures. I don't think they owe it to the coach. Um, in a lot of ways, I think the hardest part of it is just making sense of it amongst your teammates personally. Yeah. Um, and and I don't know the dynamic of every team's locker room. Um, but, you know, Kyle Pitts, just take him for example. If, you know, he, he sat down and talked to his teammates and the other leaders on this team and said – look like you know where do you guys stand on on me sitting out of the the cotton bowl excuse me against oklahoma that's one thing i think i think it's 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 just hard i completely am all for players doing what's best for them i just think that it's very hard when you build a culture and you talk about fighting for this brotherhood and the guy next to you and all that to then say Okay, but that only goes up to this point. Yeah, that that's a fair but point. I don't think they owe the coaches anything. Let mm-hmm. me make that very clear. Yes, and you know it it is a thing with your teammates, and you're in you're in battle with them as as you know as much as it's not war. It is. It's a long. There's a lot of adversity. You're you're connected with those. You're with your fellow teammates. But 
at the same time, if, you know, when I put myself in the shoes of the member of the leadership council of Florida and saying, hey, this guy has a chance to sign an $8 million signing bonus in May when or whenever the, the draft is scheduled this, this year. And if I if my voice was the reason why he came back and got hurt and I cost him $5 million, that would be really, really tough for me. As much as I would want him to play so we could win and, and finish out what finish out the season that that we set out for that's something that i think as as players are seeing it more in the nba and they're recognizing more of the player empowerment i think more players are recognizing like you you got to go do what what's best for you and we'll figure it out but we don't want to be the ones who are holding you back and could potentially be the reason why you lose out on that much money for sure and you know actually who in the florida locker room is is the most in agreement with you and, you know, advocating for Kyle Pitts to look out for himself? If you say Dan Mullen. No, the answer is the, back, the backup tight end. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Which would just fit in with, with Dan Mullen's nothing he said has made sense this whole year. <laughs> well, that's also true. Yeah, yeah, that, that's also very true. But no, the backup tight end is probably like, yeah, man, don't risk any. Don't risk <laughs> But then so on the flip side is while players are opting out, I'm calling this coaching opt-outs. This is the coaching carousel season. This is where people start tracking flights um, to see who's going where. But I'm calling a coaching opt-out is specifically when a team is playing a bowl game and an assistant coach or the head coach has accepted a job at a new school and they decide to leave their current school before the bowl game, uh, before it's played. I call that a coaching opt-out because you're opting out of the rest of your season to start doing weightlifting practices with your new team and recruiting and that's, stuff that, like that. That's, that's not fair. That's no. not fair. Let, let me just – I get what you're saying, and your point is valid to a certain degree, mm. but it's not about the weightlifting practices. It's about recruiting. Yep, Everything for sure. It's about recruiting you especially with how early this, the new early signing period is, which I guess is not that new anymore. It's all about recruiting. And to me, the other side of it is, all right, David, you're still a student athlete. Mm. If your coach left before the, you know, the biggest game of the year, would you be equally as motivated to play for him? Or would you be more motivated to play for the interim coach who you have a good relationship with and want to fight for him to get the full-time job? Yeah. I, I would want to play with the guy who 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 stuck with the team and, and stuck with us. I think that there should just be a – I know that it, that's not how it works with, with recruiting, and recruiting is 24-7, 365 for these top, top programs, but it should – the the coaching model in college football should, should, should more model like I think the NFL where coaches, you know, they call it Black Monday for a reason. It's a really sad day around the league, but it's – you're not having these openings pop up and Clark Lee, who's the defensive coordinator from Notre Dame, is flying down to Vanderbilt. Or, or, well, he's not flying down now, but like doing interviews with new teams while preparing to play the biggest game of the season in the AC Championship. And I understand that recruiting is the lifeblood of college sports, but it also – the narrative – and it is, shaped, it is changing, but it should no longer – 
be like these coaches get a free pass and the players get criticized for doing the same thing, which is looking out for the best interest of their future because for the coach, it's usually for a pay raise at a bigger program where the best thing for their future to succeed at that program is, as you said, to get a jump start on on the recruiting class with the signing days and and all that. And for the guys who are opting out to go pros, they're getting a jump start on training for the underwear Olympics in February and all their interviews <laughs> and pro days and like all that stuff. So they're doing the same thing and but for so many years and it's starting to change thankfully, but coaches would never get criticized for it, but the players would, which I just which is, you know, interesting. The thing that makes me feel a lot more okay with it is that they're about to implement this one-time transfer rule, right? Okay. Coaches can just job hop year to year without any repercussions. Players couldn't. Now they can, and job hop and team hop is not a fair way to phrase it. Yeah. But that, to me, makes it feel better that you're giving the players this degree of power. That evens it out to a certain degree. Um, totally you agree. Know, if your if your coach leaves and immediately leaves and you don't want to play well now you don't have to sit out if you go but I just I, and I'm very very strategically picking an example that fits my argument but <laughs> like if you were that Oregon team the one year Willie Taggart led you to a seven and six season mm-hmm. and then he announced he was taking the Florida State job would you really want him being like but I'm staying for the bowl game you'd be like dude you were here for less than a year like yeah. Leave, but if I was a f- true freshman who got recruited by Willie Taggart, I would be very upset. Right, but you'd be upset he took the Florida State job anyway. Yeah. Not that he didn't stay for the bowl game. Yeah, 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 yeah for one hundred percent. It. My, my point about the the NFL is that the the interview process should take place once the season is over for all the teams, and if that just means pushing back the signing day, I think that that is what should or could be done because then it will not create this like, hey, is uh the offensive coordinator from Ohio State, he got a private plane in in Columbus and is he gonna go see the five star recruit in uh Austin or is he gonna go see the University of Texas? Like I think they should just do that when the season is over and that these guys can focus on the next season, which is it recruiting and their next stop coaches wise. So uh Speaking of college openings, Auburn is still open. They have not. Oh, it looks like Kevin Steele, the defensive coordinator, is the heavy favorite to get the job full time. Okay, good, good for him because Auburn pays you really well to not coach, so they must pay you really well to coach. So, oh, at the same time, there's also um, a lot of noise about Steve Sarkeesian getting that job. So. Okay. Which would be really interesting with the mixed reports, mixed reports, which would be final answer, which would be really interesting with the Iron Bowl connection of Alabama, Auburn, if Sarkeesian leaves Tuscaloosa and goes to Auburn. I think that would be really interesting. And would you hire a Nick Saban assistant who he's never lost to one of his assistants uh, to to go to like the SEC? Like, are people scared of, of that curse? Should, should we be calling it the Saban curse, the way we called it, like the curse of the of the Bambino? I don't know. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. I think you get the best coach possible. But, yeah, if you can avoid a Nick Saban former assistant, that's probably not the worst idea in the world. <laughs> and we have one Phil job in the Big Ten. Illinois hired Brett Bielsma, 
the former Wisconsin coach and and uh he was pretty good at Wisconsin. He had success in the in the Big Ten. Uh we talked about this uh over text, but good, strong recruiting ties to the whole Midwest region. Illinois has an upgrade facility, big public university. They're in the, you know near the city of Chicago. This could be a, a turnaround program. So we'll see what Coach Bielsma can do there. Just for the record, I just want to clarify one thing. He went to um, – he took his last three years at Wisconsin, which were 2010, 2011, 2012. He took um, them to the Rose Bowl all three years. Mm-hmm. But his third and fin- his final year at Wisconsin – he gets credit for um, going to the Big Ten championship game, even though they finished third in their division because Ohio State and Penn State were both ineligible from postseason play that year. So Interesting. I just want to ding them. Just we're just yeah. dinging them a little bit, just just a little bit. But, uh, <laughs> but 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 I think he'll be good for Illinois. Um, you know, if Illinois didn't call Luke Fickle, yeah. That that is absolute malpractice. Yeah, um, it is. But but I think they could do a lot worse than Brett Bielema. Very true. And so we're keeping our eyes on three, maybe four openings: USC, Michigan, Texas. Those all have current coaches. Rumors, you know, those are such big programs. There's there's always rumors going about their their coaches. And Northwestern may be an opening. Coach Pat Fitzgerald has done an incredible job with that program. Adam Schefter is reporting that. Uh, a lot of NFL teams are potentially interested in uh, interviewing him for some of their openings. So Pat Fitzgerald may make the leap to the next level, which would be really interesting because he's won a lot of games at Northwestern, which is not an easy place to win by any means. So uh, wrapping up the coaching carousel, do you have anything you want to add to any of those openings or, or anything you're keeping your eye on there before we uh, before we end the, the coaching carousel segment? Yeah, I, I think – Teams like USC and Michigan um, could do a whole lot worse than hiring a guy like Jeff Halfley. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he, he's got ties to the West Coast. He used to work for the 49ers. He's got ties to the Big Ten. Obviously, he was with Ohio State. He has done such an unbelievable job with Boston College, um, not just in playing Clemson tight, but really good winning record. Um, and his recruiting class is just absolutely unbelievable. I, I, I believe – this year's recruiting class finished like almost 30 spots higher than their previous five-year average, um, which is the best of any coach in the country. So um, if I was a BC fan like a uh, friend of the program, Coach Billy Battaglia, yep. uh, I would be scared. But uh, Jeff Hapley is just an absolute rising star, and I think um, – Michigan, USC, again, sort of makes sense for him. But mm-hmm. the, all these teams, I think, could do a whole lot worse than, than bringing in Jeff Halfley. I, I totally, totally agree with you. So we're going to put a pin in that there, and we're going to flip over to the association because somehow, some way, even though LeBron James won the NBA championship in, in early October, the NBA season kicks off tomorrow night, officially. <laughs> Tuesday night, it's back. They are... As we mentioned at the top, trying to do this bubble list. Uh, we'll see how that goes. There are, you know, super strict COVID protocols. The the health and safety manual this year, I think, is like 160 pages. Um, who knows how this is going to work out? But before we get into some of the most interesting teams, I just want to mention Giannis Antetokounmpo. 
signed his Supermax extension with with Milwaukee. We talked about the Drew Holiday trade and all the things from their offseason was, look, this is all great, but it's now up to Giannis to resign. He has resigned five years, $228 million. Uh, just your initial reaction to that, because it's hard to find anything negative about him signing the Supermax. Yeah, I'm very glad that he did. I think that the Bucks have done a good job, even though they actually, I think, either last night or this morning, lost a second-round pick as part of their attempts to bring in Bogdanovich. Um, I think they've done everything real, borderline flawlessly in supporting him and giving him a cast that uh, builds to his strengths. Yeah, he... They got a lot of shooting around him now. We'll we'll see how much better he's gotten because he has gotten a lot better every single offseason. But we'll see how they are. They are just a really interesting team, and you know they're they're an interesting playoff team. They're they're not necessarily an interesting regular season team, um, just because it's all about what they do in the playoffs now. Is championship or bust? Will Coach Bud make the adjustments? And we'll see. But who are some? You know, let's start in the Eastern Conference. Who are some interesting teams? Uh, to, just to rattle off and, and get the the discussion going of just teams that you're interested in watching this this season or just find interesting for another reason. Um, I think there's a couple, but just to start locally, I think it's hard not to have the Nets as maybe the most interesting team. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> Kyrie's walking around the court in Boston burning sage. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, like they're super talented. Yet they have a first-year head coach. Um, I, I just feel like the the sort of variation in where they finish this year is is really wide, um, and that's really intriguing to me. They are the most interesting, as you said, just because of not just the personalities on the team with Kyrie doing the Sage and the Instagram lives, and this is a team that has a lot of depth. Just just on the court, it's a team that has a lot of depth. Really good players outside. They have the two stars in depth around them, but they'll be in the conversation all year for every disgruntled superstar, every potential superstar who or all star who may be on the move because they are one of the rare teams that has not only they own draft capital to make a move, but they also have interesting and talented young players to also make a move. So they'll be in the James Harden discussions all year. They'll be in. Bradley Beal, Carl Anthony Towns, every potential trade that could be out there, they'll be involved. And their main thing this year is distraction versus reality, which is they're going to do a lot of things just because of the people who are on that team in how they handle the media, Steve Nash being a brand new head coach. There's going to be a lot of off-the-court distractions likely with, with this team. But can the it's distraction versus the the reality of it, which is if the reality is that this is a really good team, it's not going to matter much that what Kyrie does or what KD does or what or if Nash doesn't really you know show a lot of promise early. But if they struggle off the if they struggle out of the gate, the distraction talk is going to get way way bigger. I I I I agree with that, and um, you know the the other team that I I find. Amongst the other teams I find really interesting, and um, this relates exactly to that because you mentioned being a potential destination for James Harden is the Rockets because I think the Rockets variance is also really wide and, and, and based on 
whether they're going to take one of the four or five best players in the league yeah. probably and 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 trade him because this team is built so differently from last year right obviously John Wall is now the quote second best player they spend a lot of money to bring in Christian Wood they brought mm. in uh Boogie Cousins new it, coaching you, staff new front office exactly so they're going to play differently um, the question is, are they going to play differently without their best player? Or are they going to play differently with James Harden there? So um, they're a really intriguing one to me, especially because, you know, James Harden is getting, you know, the the Zion Williamson treatment. Yeah. <laughs> a, a, not is he the best player in college basketball, but is he fat? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so so I, I, part of me is like, you know, what's going to happen with this Rockets team? Are they a playoff team? Are they a lottery team? Are they kind of stuck in no man's land, which is actually more so what it feels like in a lot of ways. They, their playoff team, James Harden is a walking playoff berth. He'll average 35 points a game and do whatever it takes to, to get into the playoffs. But they, they are a distraction team. They, um, <laughs> not a lot of positive news has come out in the off season about them, especially because they've overturned pretty much everything about their team, except for James Harden. So, We'll see what they do. One of the people they overturned was Daryl Morey, you know, their iconic general manager for so many years, Morey Ball, all that stuff. He's now in, in Philadelphia. And this team is just interesting because for whatever reason, they're always interesting. Like ever since Sam Hinkie, they've just been interesting uh, for good and bad reasons. I'm interested to see what Daryl Morey does with this team, what roster moves he makes. If he really buys into Simmons and Embiid, if he makes a decision about one or two of them, and I'm interested in just seeing how this team goes now that they have the best executive or one of the three best executives in the NBA running the show. Who, you know, we both love this, and unfortunately, Woj's fingers know this as he's had to tweet out a lot of trades, including his teams. Is that Daryl Morey loves trades? He loves trades, and so I'm just interested to see what they do to try to reshape that roster. And it obviously affects players. Do you yeah. worry about your your spot? Like, are you going to be apartment hunting? Um, <laughs> he, Darryl Morey has a quick trigger in a very aggressive sense. I'm not saying it in a bad way, but um, I, I wonder if we see, you know, maybe not the best version possible of Ben Simmons because he's, he's mentally just worried about uh, being traded the whole time. Yeah, it's, that's a very, very good point. And... The East is winnable. You know, the East is winnable. There, there's a bunch of really good teams, but every team has a major question mark. And for Miami, for me, you know, they're the defending Eastern Conference champions. Their, their major question mark is, this is now year two with Jimmy Butler. And we'll see just how... He proved me wrong. He proved a lot of people wrong in the bubble, but he is still a big personality. And we'll see how how that goes as... as how that unfolds as this season goes along because he is no longer the only all-star on that team. Bam Adebayo is an all-star. Tyler Hero got a lot of publicity coming out of the bubble, and now people are talking about, like, is Tyler Hero enough to trade for James Harden? Which is just crazy, by the way. And it'll be interesting to see how this team meshes and evolves after this finals defeat because it's bouncing back from the brink of, of a championship, right? And just every year... The team changes a little bit. They have new guys coming in, like Avery Bradley. They've lost Jay Crowder, but they also, it'll be interesting to see how Jimmy handles 
I don't know if Co sharing the spotlight because he still is the best player, but he has another All Star in Bam. Tyler Hero needs shots. Like it'll it will be interesting. I think if any team can withstand that sort of issues, it's one uh, led by Eric Spolstra as head coach and Pat Riley as the main executive. Yeah, I do think that they can withstand that. My issue or concern rather with the Miami Heat is I don't know if there's another level for them. Um, it mm-hmm. feels like that was the best they possibly could have been. And the best uh, Jimmy could have been, too. Right. And by that, I mean, like, with Jimmy Butler as your best player, as the team is, you know, currently made up. And I don't mean, like, making changes on the fringes with yeah. Avery Brad. Um, but, but Unless they're going to, you know, move some package of Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero and, you know, draft picks or whatever for James Harden, which... Uh, I don't necessarily think is the right move. Um, you know, I'm just not sure if their ceiling is is higher. Um, and and don't get me wrong, the ceiling of making the NBA Finals is pretty darn good. Yeah. But but generally, I think most people would agree that that is about as well as that team could have ever possibly played. It'll be interesting to see how their opponent does in this season because the Lakers got better this off season. So theoretically, they got better. They could play even better than they did in the NBA Finals. But what's interesting about them is they're just going for a repeat, which is always interesting. But with such a such with such a short off season, and it really was insanely short compared to the standard off season. Even if you go to the Olympics and do all the Team USA stuff, insanely short. How are they going to handle LeBron's minutes early on? Because they need him for the playoffs. He knows that he needs to be ready for the playoffs, whether it's back-to-backs they they rest him or just play him fewer minutes. I think it'll be interesting to see if the Lakers are able to get the number one seed or the number two seed because they'll be really managing the early part of this season and the workload of of LeBron and, and maybe even Anthony Davis. Yeah, I think they still can, though, because I think Anthony Davis just showed what he's capable of. Because he's awesome. Down, down the stretch last year. And, yeah. And- you know, I I know everyone talks about like, oh, did he make the jump? And I like, I don't know. I don't have <laughs> like he's just really, really awesome. Did he take um, the leap? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I don't know. I don't know. It's hard to define where he was and and where he is now. But like, he's good enough to carry that team to a high seed, even with appropriate load management for yeah, you know, LeBron James. There will be a lot of load management in Los Angeles. Kawhi Leonard, the king, Absolutely. the creator of load management. Um, they re-signed uh, Paul George, better known as Pandemic P, to a <laughs> max extension of uh, five years, which I thought was just interesting. Um, they're really interesting because they're bouncing back from abject hum- humiliation in the bubble, going down 3-1 and blowing it, You know, three straight double-digit leads to Denver. New coach, Doc Rivers, got fired, bringing Ty Lue. Literally, this whole offseason has just been off-the-court drama, culture questions of Paul George. Even started, like, literally once their season was over and it was officially the offseason, Paul George was like, well, it wasn't really championship or bust expectations. Then Lou Williams comes out and is like, we all knew it was championship or bust expectations. Like, something weird has went on with this team last year. It's been written about extensively in The Athletic and on other platforms as well. This is going to be really interesting because they are still extremely talented, still really good. 
but can they put all the pieces together to truly compete for a championship, I think will be really interesting to, to watch unfold. Yeah, I, I mean, Ty Lue's won a title, right? Like, it's not that crazy to think that, uh, you know, he's the right leader. It's it's not crazy at all, but he he was able to work with LeBron, and we'll see if he's able to work with Kawhi Leonard and, and Paul George because we like to think that, oh, this guy, you know, he, he, he can coach superstars, right? Well, each superstar is they're all a little different. They're all different people. They all have it takes uh different buttons to to push for them to to get the best. So, we'll see if he can figure out how to get the best and the best out of Kawhi Leonard and mainly Paul George because he is the guy who needs to be awesome for the Clippers to have a real shot to contend in the Western Conference. Especially in the playoffs. I agree with yeah. you. So, we're going to make some predictions now as we wrap up the the, the NBA mini-pod preview. Biggest overarching potential transaction storyline, because we know better than, than anyone who we talk, you know, we talk about this, we talk, we love talking about sports. Usually the leading subject on first take in the mornings, or uh, whatever Skip Bayless' show is called on Fox, is whatever potential free agent or trade thing that may happen in the NBA what is your pick for biggest overarching potential transaction storyline? Well, I think it's got to be James Harden and, okay. and the will he or won't he. But mm-hmm. my dark horse for that is I wouldn't be shocked. I don't know if they have the right package available. Maybe it involves James Wiseman. But if, but if the Warriors decide that they're good enough to compete and they need one more piece with Clay Thompson out – um, that could be really interesting. Um, that is really interesting. Wow. Whoa. Yeah, that that's really interesting. I think Harden's going to be talked about a lot. Just want to mention that Kawhi Leonard can opt out at the end of the season. I think people will start talking about that as, as the Clippers go along, as if they're not number one in the West and seemingly running away with the championship. It's going to be, just remember... Kawhi can leave, and Kawhi's not going to tell us what he's doing on, you know, until he does it, right? So, uh, I think that will be interesting as well. Your finals matchup. Um, gosh, I, 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 it's so uncreative, but I think the best team in the East last year and the best team in the West last year are the same teams, and the Bucks didn't make the finals. I think they break through this year with. Drew, Drew Holiday uh, there now. Um, and, and I think ultimately it's hard to say that the Lakers won't repeat over the Bucks in the finals. So I have Bucks lakers as well, but I think the Bucks are going to win. I think it's Giannis's year. I think it's his time to overcome it all and uh, win his first championship. So you got the Lakers. I got the Bucks. Uh, that'll be an interesting thing to follow. Last one before we sign off here. MVP. Oh gosh. Um, I think know, it's going to be Luka Doncic. See, that's a that's a great call, and I think part of what we have to factor in is this idea that the NBA has approved, you know, reduced load load schedules um, to rest guys. So. Mm. I'm going to say the NBA MVP 
you know what? I think it's going to be Anthony Davis. I think okay. he's going to go. I think with LeBron resting, he's going to put up numbers that are impossible to ignore. I think that's a great pick, and he puts up impossible. He puts up numbers impossible to ignore, even when he plays with LeBron. Like, like he's <laughs> right, he's right. just a stat stuffing machine. So, I'm pumped to see how it goes. Uh, we got some interesting games Tuesday night. I think it's uh, Nets Warriors is the one I'm going to be tuning into. Uh, so we'll we'll see. It's it's going to be an interesting season the way that all other leagues in this pandemic world have operated. Always great chatting with you, Coach, and uh, looking forward to to talking next week. Dave, it's been a pleasure. I'm already counting down. That'll do it for this episode of The Double Double. If you like this podcast, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and you can subscribe, rate, and review. Five stars would be much, much appreciated. You can also follow us on Twitter at DBL underscore DBL podcast. We will be back next week. Take care. Have a very Merry Christmas, and have a great day.